About a year ago, our colleague Janet Adamy started talking to leaders at Christian churches. And she heard a common complaint. The partisanship in America had become toxic, and churches weren't immune. What church leaders were telling me is that they had always had people who were Democrats and people who were Republicans, but that something changed in 2016, and that this kind of new moment we were in was causing a phenomenon where people's political identity was taking precedence over their religious identity. Pastors were getting complaints. Some people said they preached too far to the left, others too far to the right. So a few churches were trying something new, something Janet hadn't heard of before. They were offering a class developed by a small Christian nonprofit. The goal was for churches to heal their political divides by hosting discussions on issues like immigration, police reform, and healthcare, all with the help of a 200-page workbook. It's kind of like a church service with an argument in the middle of it. There are prayers, and there's always one topic that's sort of the hot-button topic that gets discussed. And, you know, I say it's an argument. It's a very thoughtful, constructive conversation, but it is meant to be candid, and it is meant to be unvarnished. And the goal is that if you give people a constructive format for discussing their differences, it will actually bring the people closer together, and it will strengthen their connection to the church and to their Christianity. And they need 200 pages to do it. Uh, 194, yes. Janet was curious. She wanted to see the course in action. And she found a small church in Michigan that was willing to let her sit in. Church members would meet week after week, in person and online. They'd try to bridge their political differences by bringing them out into the open. Everything seems to be falling apart. I really struggle with my Christian brothers and sisters who vote for candidates who are pro-choice. Janet would be a fly on the wall, recording it. Today, we'll hear what she heard. Do you feel more divided from this group, or do you feel more unified? I'd say politically, I, I probably feel more divided. <laughs> Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaum. It's Friday, December 18th. Coming up on the show, one church's experiment to overcome its political divides. This episode is brought to you by Canva. When your work looks good, you look good. So create all the stunning presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos you need with Canva. Start with one of the designer-made templates or jump ahead with the power of AI. It's a real time saver and anybody can use it. Whatever department you work in, whatever you need, Canva will help you get it done and make it look fantastic. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. One night in March, about a dozen people filed into a church youth room in Wyoming, Michigan. There was a 28-year-old boat salesman, a 61-year-old electrician, a 71-year-old retired mailman. All of them were members of Calvary Christian Reformed Church. And they were there for the first meeting of a class called Political Talk. 
And as they settled into worn-out couches for their first debate, some of them were a little anxious. Here's Janet. I want to tell you a little bit about Heather Strobosher, who is an associate pastor. So she was the only person who was in a position of authority in the church, and she showed up for that meeting pretty nervous. Pastor Heather wasn't sure how much she wanted to share. She worried that if she showed her cards politically, members of the church might stop listening to her, especially because it was immediately clear that the group would be far apart on the issues. They started the thick of the debate by asking, what concerns you most about guns? We don't have a recording of that first session, but Janet took notes on what each person said. And Jane Quist said she was concerned for the safety of her grandchildren. Mark Elders said it concerned him just how quickly a person can commit suicide with a gun. And then Ron Gruder spoke up. Ron Gruders is 56, and he's a social worker. Earlier that night, he'd warned the group that he has strong opinions. And Ron said what concerned him was that Democrats were going to try to take people's guns. He said, you know, it's not the guns that kill people. It's the moral decline that drives gun violence. And that he felt that actually, if churches were armed, that churches would be safer. The conversation got very tense after he shared that opinion. Erin Elders decided she had to speak up. Erin's 27 and a graphic designer. She told the group, I grew up in the post-Columbine school system. And she was fighting back tears when she said this. She said, I would be sitting in my art class and you would have to flip the table and pretend like someone's going to shoot you. You know, it was a pretty split discussion and it was tense. So it sounds like Pastor Heather may have been right to be nervous. Yeah. And at the end of the meeting, she turned to Nick Elders, who was one of the leaders, and said, you know, I feel like people are pretty far apart on these things. And she said, I held back a lot because I don't feel safe talking in this group. But session after session, she came back. And so did everyone else. When debates got tough, they tried to remind each other how much they shared. Their church, their faith. But things could still get personal. The group's moderators, Mark and Nick Elders, are brothers, and they were leading a group that included their own dad. They had been raised in a very conservative household, just solidly Republican, and they were sort of drifting a little bit more toward libertarian views. And their dad really wasn't aware of this. And so throughout the course of the meetings, there were a number of times when they said things and they sharply disagreed with their dad. And for their dad, it was kind of shocking. Can you describe those moments? I think one of the most interesting debates was when the group talked about, they had to sit down and talk about the stereotypes that both parties had. So Dale Elders, the father, said, One stereotype that I have toward liberals is they want to give away the farm, but who's going to pay for it? You got illegal immigrants. They want to provide health care. They want to provide... Housing, they want to provide everything, okay? And Nick Elders shot back. Sell three tanks, two ships, and it's paid for. (laughs) Okay, so you don't feel threatened by the opposition without us having a strong defense? And so, you know, here we were in this big group where it was being discussed in a group context, but it was really kind of you you were seeing a father arguing with his son about the ways in which his son had grown to have different beliefs than the ones that he raised them with and the ones that they assumed they had. By the time Nick and Dale were having this debate, 
It was September. The group had paused for a few months at the start of the pandemic. Now they were back on Zoom, debating these topics with the sounds of their dogs and kitchen appliances running in the background. In all the sessions you sat in on, was there a breakthrough moment? There was a breakthrough moment. So I mentioned Ron Gruders, who joined the group because he wanted to get an answer to this question that was troubling him, which is, how, as a Christian, can you vote for somebody who supports abortion rights? Because I really struggle with my Christian brothers and sisters who vote for candidates who are pro-choice. And I really, really struggle with that. But the political talk course didn't include a debate on abortion. So a week before the course ended, the Elders Brothers decided to add an extra session and go off script. So today we're going to talk about pro-choice versus pro-life. And Ron Gruder shared that, you know, for him, this issue is personal. He said there were two women in his family who had had an abortion and that that had touched him very deeply. He talked about how, as a man, he felt like he wasn't really given a lot of freedom to speak up on the issue. Because we're men and we're stupid and we don't understand what it's like to be a woman and have this issue. Um, and I've always grew up with that, so we never had conversations about that because of my gender, I think, more than anything else. Uh, at least in my circle. The whole man thing, I think, was important for me to bring up. And then the whole thing about the fact that this actually touched me very deeply in my own family. And that's when Pastor Heather spoke up. I'll disclose this because I'm bringing this to the table because I'm coming to the table. When I was 20, I got pregnant. And I, um, I don't know that I was pro-choice or pro-life at that time. But with conviction, I knew I wouldn't have an abortion. I was single, no plan, knew I, I, I felt like my life was over. That was the end. The baby was adopted. So I gave the baby up for adoption and I went through the pregnancy. But it was Planned Parenthood that were the people of grace in my life that put their arms around me in this crisis pregnancy moment. And it was my Christian relatives who were awful to me. My Christian reformed relatives that some of them wouldn't allow me into their homes and didn't want anything to do with me and just completely discarded me until the baby was completely out of my life. And then we could pick up and some of them pretend like it never happened. And the way I've experienced how right to life come at the issue, and I, and I don't mean like the people on this screen here, but there's just some real ugly behavior toward women who have made difficult choices that, um, that I, yeah, that's one thing that stirs in me in the whole conversation. This wasn't a story about an abortion. Instead, it was a story about a woman in a tough situation making a tough choice without the support of her fellow Christians. And most importantly, it was a woman this group knew well. And all of a sudden, the conversation opened up. I'm sorry to hear that you had that response. 
it's it's sad that people have to react in such a sad manner um, instead of a a loving one as a church should be there. Jane Quist spoke up, and Jane and Jim Quist had said abortion is their number one issue. They're anti-abortion voters. And then Jane went on to talk about how she remembers growing up in the church, not at this specific church, but that in other Christian Reformed churches, if you, you know, a couple would get pregnant out of wedlock and they would have to stand up before the church and have this recognition of their sin. And she said that just, that never sat well with her. It was sad. It was just like, oh my goodness, they're up on parade type of thing. And all of us sin too in different ways, but that was just made to look so bad. And then after she shared that story, her husband Jim, he prayed for forgiveness on behalf of the church for the way that Heather had been treated. Father, we ask as a church for uh, your forgiveness for um, just seems like the extraordinary delight that our church has taken in humiliating uh, others who have, uh, well, some have stumbled and some have not. And Father, uh, we regret that, we lament that, and uh, we pray for your forgiveness, and we pray, Father, that as a church, we're just not like that anymore. How did Pastor Heather feel after putting herself in such a vulnerable position? She told me that that was the first time in 30 years that anybody had ever asked for any kind of forgiveness for what had happened to her and how she had been treated by other Christians. Um, I mean, she was, when Jim was praying, she was in tears. The group hadn't settled their differences on abortion. And for his part, Ron still didn't feel like he had an answer to his question. But they'd found a point of common ground while discussing one of the most divisive issues. They'd made progress. Now, they'd just have to survive the election. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight, live tomorrow. Shop now at natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. The night after the election, the group got together on Zoom for one final session, this time to discuss their votes. There was no winner yet, but just an hour before their meeting, news outlets made a pivotal call. Fox News calling Michigan for Joe Biden. Late today, ABC News projecting Michigan for Joe Biden. The Associated Press has called Joe Biden the winner in Michigan. I think for the people in the group, it was a little bit of an indication that you know, things were going in Biden's direction. 
So you could definitely see a sort of split among kind of the emotion that was conveyed on people's faces between the Trump voters and the Biden voters. Well, the election was last night and we're kind of in the middle of it all. We're going to kind of just talk about that. So I guess quickly raise your hand if you voted for Biden. And then raise your hand if you voted for Trump. Of the 14 people in the group, there were eight people who voted for Biden, and there were five people who voted for Trump. One person, Pastor Heather's husband, is Canadian, and he can't vote. So, where are we now? The polls have closed, the votes have been almost fully tallied, and we're gathered here together as a group of Christian friends in the aftermath of this decision. They went around the room, each talking about how they came to their decisions. I I voted for Biden, probably the first time I voted Democratic in my life. Everything seems to be falling apart as far as um, stability, respect, just the the basics of our own, our whole country, what it was founded on, how it's supposed to function. Um, So it it was a tough decision, but that's... I flipped this year. So for me, it's a lot to do with the divisiveness. I mean, if you just watch their speeches from the last couple nights, Biden's very big on, hey, I'm going to be a president for everyone. And Trump, although he may not say it, but he kind of sounds like, oh, you're not on my side? Well, to hell with you. So that's, that's kind of why I voted Biden. We both voted for Trump. No, we don't like his character but we're voting more of the platforms for life. We don't want higher taxes that Biden's gonna bring in and the change of healthcare, we pay enough. Um, It was so extraordinary to me. I'm thinking of all the other churches across America where people are like, I can't touch this, I can't touch this. I like, this is a powder keg. And one by one, they went around and each person said who they voted for and why. And because they had had this whole lead up, you know, That wasn't an explosive thing. At the end of the election class, Nick Elders asked the group to reflect on everything they'd gone through in their 11 sessions together. After been through this class now, do you feel more divided from this group or do you feel more unified? Um, I'd say politically, I I probably feel more divided. (laughs) How about personally? Um, Personally, I love you all. And uh, I think I said to somebody, I'd take a bullet for any of you. I don't think anybody changed their mind fundamentally in terms of what they believed. But what just about everybody in the group said was that they felt they felt like they had been listened to and understood in a way that was not happening in any other environment where they were in. I was worried about starting this because I didn't know how I would react to strong opinions opposite of my opinions. And the first couple of weeks were difficult. I admit that. Then we went uh, on lockdown, shutdown, and I was thinking maybe I won't start back up. I'm very thankful that I did because I found this is the only place, and I'm confessing here, but this is the only place where I really have found respect for the other side. I sincerely mean that. 
And it's because we're rooted in the same place. I, I just think about these settings like church, like work, like Thanksgiving dinner, where there are topics you don't go into, you bite your tongue. And, you know, it, it's like better off for the group not to talk about the hot button issues. And as a result, we don't understand each other. Yeah. And I think, you know, what kept going through my mind is like, this is risky, right? Like you put it out there and like you can't take it back what you've said. You know, they'll know what you believe and it can cause a rift. It could cause tension. And yet I feel like if you want to try to bridge it, you actually have to put it out there. I mean, there's a case to be made for the people that you're closest to within your own family and the church that know it's actually better if you put it out there and you get it out in the open. And even if you get to the end of it and you realize we just don't agree, well, it's not simmering under the surface anymore. And I just hope that we as a group, especially once we can get back uh, back to church and in actual community, that we can all give each other hugs and and uh, be be a light to the rest of our church. Well, with that, I think Lord hear our prayer. Amen. 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 That's all for today, Friday, December eighteenth. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Limeball. The show is produced by Katherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Novetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapok. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Peter Leonard, Katherine Anderson, Emma Munger, and Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Sam Bear and Nick Del Rose. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.